The 95th Academy Awards are in the books. Who won? Were there any upsets? How many Will Smith jokes were there? So many <laughs> questions. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, the big, big winner at this year's Oscars was anything but an upset. For weeks now, Buzz has been building for the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which just the title feels a little bit overwhelming to me, <laughs> frankly. And they don't even put commas in it, so it feels it's like a mouthful. it's a giant run-on sentence. In our first segment, Unpacking the Oscars, we're going to talk about that film and what you need to know about it. And we'll also talk about why this year's broadcast of Hollywood's Biggest Night had some surprising family messages, even though not everything that walked away with one of those shiny gold Oscars was family-friendly. And in our second segment, Emily Chow is here to tell us about a new PG-13 Christian movie called Southern Gospel. And we'll be discussing a little bit of a tangent. And this is a question that came to us from a listener who asked, how should we think about faith-oriented films that have edgy content in them? I think it's a great question. Finally, I hope you had a chance to join us for the Plugged In Movie Awards live stream last week. But if you didn't, we'll include a link in the episode notes for today's show so that you can still check it out. Well, joining me for our conversation today are Paul Acey, Kennedy Unthink, and Emily Chow. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hello. So, Oscars, there's only one question I can start this conversation with. What is your favorite Oscar Best Picture winner and why? Go. Paul Acey. Oh, my goodness. Well, you were starting to talk. I was just going to segue straight in. So... This is a difficult question for me, as all of yours are, right. because you can read it in two different ways, right? right? And you can answer however you want. You've got your favorite, or you've right. got the best of all time. Uh, your favorite's what I asked, though. I'm not even going to give my favorite, because I know that one of these two <laughs> is know, this actually is such going a to... Straight... <laughs> I don't think that's It's such a straightforward no. question. You don't think so? Well, because... I don't think you get to thing. make that determination. Well, but I don't want to steal your guys' thunder. So You're definitely not going to steal my thunder. You can vote for whatever you want. What's your favorite, right Paul? All right, well, I'm, I'm just going to say it. Lord of the take... Rings. Yeah. Yep. There you Return go. of yes. the King. Yeah. So you, All right, now we can enough, move into our wrong. main conversation. No. I actually wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I thought about it, but if okay. I'm being honest, first of all, of that tri that trilogy, it's Return of the King. It's the third one, and it is not the best of that trilogy. I and I feel like they only gave it to them because they had nominated it the previous two years, and they were like, we have to give it to them. Like, it's right. a masterpiece. It's huge. Like, we can't. Anyways, no, I actually, but I, I went more historical with mine. I'm going to say Casablanca. Casablanca. That is a surprise in the middle islands. <laughs> um, it is my favorite. Uh, it's for so many reasons. One is just that it's an old black and white film. Um, it's got Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, lots of classic. I mean, it is a classic. It and, is and classic. we'll always have Paris. Yeah, exactly. We'll always have Paris. Oh, uh, well, for me, uh, I think it's no surprise. Mine is La La Land. Oh, what is this? Oh, actually, it's A Beautiful Mind. <laughs> well played. Really well played. Uh, yeah, really I, I well really played. like the story of uh, John Nash. And okay. obviously, you know, Beautiful Mind is, is hyped up. You know, it's more theatrical than it is historical. But it's a really good movie. Wow. Okay. I tell you what, I was not pegging either of those. So, Paul, now that nobody has picked Lord of the Rings... What's your actual What's favorite? What's your real answer? 
Oh, you know what? I I was going to say Return of the King. Okay. But if I was pirated from me, I was going to go Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah? Yeah. But Kwai. Hey. But Kwai. It's a really, oh. it's a great, great <laughs> mid-1950s uh, drama with, with Alec Guinness, who is fantastic in this role. It has some very interesting themes to it. And it just has that cool little theme song. Okay. Da-da. Da-da. No, da, no. Da, da. Stop. What about you, Adam? <laughs> well, I'm faced with a double conundrum here. So, I guess we'll call it double jeopardy. My first thought was, I'll go with Return of the King. <laughs> but then I thought, nah, everybody will pick Return of the King. Exactly. <laughs> I so I picked Casablanca. <laughs> Casablanca. And Emily's given us a lovely description. You know, Adam, like I've I seen think three movies before 1977, and that's one of them. So I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I think oh you're right. My I think you're right. That was nice. <laughs> All right, so let's dive in to the Oscars. We've seen plenty of real life drama at the Oscars ceremony the last few years. Of course, last year. Will Smith slapped Chris Rock and, and Jimmy Kimmel made uh, comedic hay with it and then some at this year's ceremony. And then La La Land, which, Kennedy, you just referenced back in 2017, mm-hmm. um, Warren Beatty and Annette Benning called it out and it actually wasn't the winner. It was Moonlight. <laughs> so I had to double check. I didn't want to get Moonlight right again and like re-traumatize all those people. <laughs> um, this year, though, I felt like the producers and this is some of the stuff I read about it, really went overboard to kind of dial down the controversy and drama. They wanted kind of an old-fashioned production. And uh, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit further on in our conversation. Um, But I thought there were some really lovely moments during this broadcast. But the biggest winner here is everything, everywhere, all at once, which Mm -hmm. it's like a total category buster. Like you almost have to invent a new genre. Is it comedy? Is it drama? Is it sci-fi? I saw one review that called it an absurdist sci-fi comedy. And I'm like... Yeah, it's everything. It's everything, everywhere, all at once. And and even during one of the multiple acceptance speeches that we heard from the multiple awards that people won, one of the guys who wrote the story said, what if we took my mom and put her in the Matrix? I'm like, that's like actually a really great one-sentence description of this movie. But let's add a couple more sentences. Kennedy, you reviewed the movie for us. How would you even begin to try to summarize the storyline here, other than your mom in the Matrix, which might be as much as we need? Yeah, so uh, first off, let's just talk about the fact that it starts in a multiverse. Okay. Um, it's a very you know popular concept that uh, that's been going around, especially in film lately. Um, but basically, in this multiverse, we are in the timeline where, uh, as you said, your mom is the worst version of her that she could possibly be. Okay. Uh, so that's where we find ourselves uh, at the start of everything, everywhere, all at once. Evelyn is, uh, she's running a laundromat. Um, her husband is looking to divorce her. Her daughter doesn't love her, and uh, just everything's going wrong in her life. Right. Uh, suddenly, they could have called it everything bad all at once. Exactly. Right? Um, Thanks, Paul. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, though, um, her husband pops out of nowhere and says, hey, I'm not actually your husband. I need you to come with me to go save the multiverse from this evil entity that wants to destroy it you are the only one who can save it come with me now as it turns out 
Evelyn, being the worst version of her that she is, <laughs> has no skills. No skills. Right? Other than being mean. So <laughs> She's in, pretty in a way, like the Matrix, that. she has to figure out, well, okay, well, how do I get these skills? And how do I stop it? And not only that, but why am I the only one who can stop it? Right. So we get all sorts of drama that unfolds from there. But... Um, it is. I did feel like as I was watching it a couple times, I thought, oh, yeah, that feels like the Matrix because you'd have people, their sort of identity from one version of themselves would zap into another version of themselves oh, yeah. in a different universe. And that enabled them to learn instantly certain skills, right? Yeah. This thing pretty much won everything. I mean, almost everything. Best picture, best director. Best Supporting Actress, Best Actress, Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Best Supporting Actor for Kei Hui Kwan. But why do you think this movie, I, I can't remember the last movie where like the entire top build cast, everybody got an Academy Award. I mean, sometimes it's the director and the screenwriter and this felt like all of the major awards that got all of them. What is up with this movie? Except for Best Actor, but yeah. Yeah, but there really wasn't a best actor. They didn't have a because nominee in that category. So that, I think yeah. they would have won if there would have been somebody in it. So Can I have I... a theory. You have a theory. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you're criticizing a movie, you'll say something else like, well, they're a good actor. They were just given a bad script. Right. Mm. I feel like this was the best of both worlds. So it was a good actor, but they were also given a good script. The okay. whole story behind everything, everywhere, all at once is inherently a spiritual one. Okay. It's, you know, they're going through the multiverse and essentially uh, one of the characters just comes to the conclusion that because there's all these timelines, nothing really matters. And so, so it's kind of nihilistic in a way. Exactly. And so all the characters are kind of approaching this topic from different perspectives of does anything matter? If nothing matters, what do we do? Uh, if nothing matters, do we just end everything? Uh, and so I think the power of that kind of philosophical statement is what really propelled it forward because all the actors and actresses were just so um, invested in the story and they were so uh, movable because of the script. Yeah. You know, I think that, that there is a certain charm that goes with this movie, right? Because it's so ridiculous. It's so over the top. It's funny, mm -hmm. which you very rarely see. Yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is off the hook. She is movie. off the hook. I was actually rooting for Angela Bassett in the Oscars, but that's another story. <laughs> um, she was great in this movie. It was so, it was so watchable, and yet it dealt with such as Kennedy was saying, such profound themes. I think it really dug underneath the skin, and because it sort of combined all these these elements in one reasonably coherent tale. Maybe. You know, I think, <laughs> I think this it one is really one worked. that if you like it, and there are going to be some reasons why you might not like it, well, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's and a lot going on in this there movie. There is a lot going on. And I was thinking, even as I was watching it, actually, Kennedy and I saw this together. This was his second movie out of the gate. After when Redeeming he... Love. <laughs> After Damn, Redeeming I mean, we just love. threw you straight in the fire, didn't we? <laughs> we really did. We really did. But But when I was watching it, I thought to myself, my parents would hate no, this their heads movie would explode. because there's just so and not much because going your on. parents are bad people they're, there's they're a lot good going on people there's just a lot going on so for it to be as coherent as it is for it to be as moving as it is i think that that's a tribute to how the picture was made when i watched it one of the things that stood out to me was just thematically 
amidst all the absurdist stuff and a plot that's really crazy. It makes the matrix look linear, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're like, okay, is this a movie about marriage? Is mm-hmm. this a movie about a daughter and her difficult dad? Because there's this suggestion that the main character, Michelle Yeoh, is the way she is because her dad is a monster, right? And and then it sort of morphs and we get a story about a mother's relationship with a daughter. And I will say a little bit of a spoiler warning. The daughter is gay. And one of the sort of narrative things that has to be dealt with is, is the mother going to keep loving the gay daughter or not? That's in the mix. Um is it about work? I mean, this is a movie that says a lot about work. Like you can sort of like close your eyes and throw a dart and you can probably hit a theme related to one of those things. But yet all of those relational connections, even though the movie is crazy and frenetic, it felt very poignant and grounded somehow at the same time. Oh, well for me, uh, I think it feels grounded in the sense that it does in the end kind of revolve around this family unit of how does the husband and the wife how, how do they reconcile how does the mother and the daughter how do they reconcile you see all this stuff and inherently like even though you're jumping from multiverse to multiverse it seems to be all revolving around how this family's relationships are yeah even in the ones where like in, in the multiverse where evelyn never married her husband right there's still an element of oh i kind of wish that i would have and so you see that no matter what uh multiversal timeline they're on yeah, that and, that, a... and that multiverse is kind of noir. It tosses in a whole nother genre. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. And I would totally agree with what Kennedy says about it being spiritual. It's an inherently spiritual movie. It's yeah. inherently relational. It pushes back on sort of that nihilism eventually, but it does it in, in a very poignant, odd sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, as we talk about this movie in such glowing terms, we should probably mention just how raw but and wait, problematic <laughs> it can be. Yes. <laughs> you know, because there are some huge, huge concerns, right? Yeah. And what are they? Yeah. So I, I think that, that, number one, you've got tons of swearing, right? Mm-hmm. You have uh, some definite LBGT content, not only with the daughter, but some other areas. Uh, it can lead viewers into areas that would be really counter in some ways to what we would think of as far as Christianity goes. Mm-hmm. So it, it has some thoughts that run counter to Christianity. It can still sort of be used as a teaching tool, I think. Yeah. But if you take it at face value, there's going to be some problems. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, definitely with the spiritual stuff. Uh, I think like the movie's title is just an indicator of with even with the content, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have some uh, within the spiritual stuff. The movie is very nihilistic. Uh, one of the characters, th- her whole core belief is that, well, nothing matters. So who cares if I kill this person or anything? Because, you know, yeah. the multiverse exists. So why does that matter? In a sense... In a sense, that nihilism is sort of a biblical principle, as I point out in the review. If you read through Ecclesiastes, mm. it's kind of depressing for a really long time, right. uh, where this <laughs> the author is just going through, is like, well, this doesn't fulfill your life. This doesn't fulfill your life. Nothing matters. You're a vapor. You're going to vanish eventually. You're going to die. So what? But um, 
I think, you know, when you think about through this movie on the nihilism, you have to remember is that the biblical principle doesn't end on nothing matters. It says nothing matters apart from God. Right. And I think that when we watch everything everywhere all at once, it sort of gets to that point. It doesn't point back to God, but it does point back to love. It points back yes. to relationships. It points back to family. And, you know, that was one of the interesting things, I think, about this year's Oscars ballot. Mm-hmm. And the telecast itself was this idea of family, right? Mm -hmm. We really see here, I, I think that generally speaking, everything everywhere all at once comes down to sort of this humanistic point of view where we have to make our own meaning. But that meaning in, in that context is something that I think we would get on board with in terms of loving your family, loving the people in your lives, trying to help them be better people. Those are all themes here. And, and that's something that you see again and again and again in some of these Oscar nominees. You see that all over the place. I think you're exactly right. And I felt like more so than any Oscar telecast I can remember watching, there were a lot of feel-good moments. Now, some of them were moments where I don't remember Oscars ever where it was clear that there was a crowd favorite. Like, people were thrilled with some of the awards. People wanted Michelle Yeoh to win. Mm. Uh, people wanted Kei Hui Kwan to win. Um, and there were some, I thought, some incredibly, um, really sincere and authentic acceptance speeches. But what struck me, and this is related to what you were saying, so many people thanked their parents. Now, it's not like we've never heard somebody thank their mom or their dad, but it was over and over and over again. And Jamie Lee Curtis said, I grew up the daughter of two people who were nominated but didn't win, and she teared up, you know? And, you know, this is the girl that started making Halloween movies. Like, when she started, I don't think anybody probably thought Jamie Lee Curtis was going to be winning an Oscar someday. And, and, and it felt very sincere. People thanking their mom, their dad. One person, I believe it was one of the directors. Daniel Kwan. Um, thanked all of the teachers who had believed in him. And so I felt like what it showed was that family plays a huge role in shaping people's stories and how they tell stories. You know, there is something to be said just about how they did the show this year also that plays into what you just mentioned with how this ceremony just felt like there were more touching moments. One of the things that they did is it's it was less commercialized this year yep. in the sense that, hey, instead of putting on a show, instead of putting in all these songs and putting in all these little bits and things like let's just have the awards. And part of that was because they were like, hey, maybe we're maybe we're part it makes me wonder if they didn't look at themselves and say maybe we're part of the problem maybe yeah. it's the fact that we've made this so commercial that we are having ridiculous drama like people slapping each other you know when i think about the oscar telecast i i go back to what you said at the very top of this show that it felt a little bit old fashioned yeah. right yeah. um and it didn't feel as mean it didn't feel as mean i would agree with that um and i would use two illustrations for that one would be, and they're both best songs, the Natu Natu <laughs> musical number from RRR was a delightfully old-fashioned musical number. The dancing, the singing, it was yeah. really high energy and it reminded me of some of those old 1940s and 1950s musicals. The other thing that oh, I was okay, struck I by- I want to interrupt you. And- 
when it won, spoiler warning, these two guys who were both Indian came up and one of them sang his acceptance <laughs> speech as a Carpenters song because he talked about growing up with the Carpenters. And it, it was so it was sweet. totally delightful. It was delightful. really neat. So and now back to you, Paul. No, and, and the other part that really struck me was Lady Gaga yeah. going up, singing her song, Hold My Hand. Um, she was without makeup. Yeah. Largely unplugged. I think about Oscar telecast from a decade ago when Lady Gaga was wearing dresses of meat. Right. Right? This is the one person who you would never have thought to go into that direction. Yeah. And there was something really, I thought, very attractive about that realness. Yeah. That sense of earthy realism yeah. that she brought to the show that was very powerful and I, I it was sort of emblematic of of the oscars as a whole this year yeah yeah um as we're talking about feel good stuff i just want to point out that it makes me feel good in the sense that when we looked at all the winners uh we saw that the vast majority of them were things that we had reviewed on our website right pluggedin.com yeah Thanks, that, Kennedy. there's, there's a go. plugged in for plugged in we go man <laughs> Well, and and obviously we're talking about the telecast and we're talking about a couple of the winners in particular. There were more winners than just everything, everywhere, all at once. But I think we did review all of the Best Picture nominees Mm -hmm. and most and and a bunch of other films that may have had a Best Actor or Best Actress nomination. So if you want to learn more, um, Plugged In is the place to go. So thanks, Kennedy, for bringing that segue in here. And I think even though there is more to say there, this is probably a good place to bring our Oscar conversation in for landing. Thanks, everyone. Well, in our second segment, we are going to talk about a Christian movie that is out in theaters now. It is called Southern Gospel. And we're going to tell you about the movie and have a little bit of a, a philosophical conversation about it as well. So, Emily, tell us about Southern Gospel. Southern Gospel is based on true events um, and it tells the story of Samuel Allen, who was raised in this church. He was um, his dad was a pastor. And uh, after some tragic stuff happens in his life, he basically kind of gets into the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, and uh, then another tragedy happens and he winds up right back where he started in his dad's house um, and he starts going to church again and he eventually becomes a pastor himself. And I mean, the movie goes on even after that point. He faces a lot of issues with the church because um, it's kind of a fight against organized religion. Um, He maintains his whole life that it is more important what is in your heart and the relationship that you have with God those things are far more important than not cursing, for yeah. example. Yeah, it felt like it was, you used the phrase organized religion. And in some ways I thought it was a movie, I want to take that idea a step further. It really critiques legalism, right? Yes, I mean, very just, much so. And harsh legalism. And there's sort of a villain character who, he's like the arch legalist. And if well, you step out of bounds. <laughs> he um, really maintains, he, he gets upset with, uh, Pastor Allen, because all these people who go to Allen's church, you know, they're still sinners and everything. And he's like, if they're at church, they shouldn't be sinning anymore. And he's like, we're going to make mistakes. We're human. 
Like, isn't it a better story of God's grace that they're here and that they're trying and that they're really trying to turn their lives around? And this guy's just like, no, they shouldn't be here unless they're going to follow the rules. I've been watching you since your so-called conversion. Rock and roll. It's an infection. And you're going to try and tell me you've never made one mistake. Not a one! You're finished. Probably at some point, if you are a Christian long enough, we're going to run into someone who is some version of that caricature. And it seems yes. like this character is pretty over the top and pretty melodramatic. Well, and he has sins of his own, you know, he they just always do. I mean, like, well, <laughs> and his weren't, his just weren't like the overt, like he's not having extramarital affairs. Right. He's not cursing. He's, you know, one of the things in this particular church was there was, you're not allowed to swim. You know, this is a guy who's probably, yeah, because. Because swimming suits. Because swimming Modesty. promotes lust, apparently. <laughs> um, so you weren't allowed to swim at all. But uh, no, the thing, though, in it, with him is that he had his own sins. His sins were that he was so bitter towards Samuel and his dad that he was he would do everything in his power to get them excommunicated from the church. And it was just that bitterness, that hatred, that was a sin of its own. Yeah. And um, and he admits that by the end of the movie, like he realizes, you know, I'm a hypocrite. You know, I tell people, you know, about all about God's love, but I'm not even demonstrating it myself. And he he does realize that. And Samuel also, in turn, kind of learns how to let go of his own bitterness and hatred in a very similar way where he's like, I'm a hypocrite if I sit here and I hate you for, you know, doing what you're doing. So, yeah. Okay. So it's PG-13. Why does it end up with that rating? Well, when it dives into the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll thing, we don't see anything sexual, but we hear about some of the stuff that happened before uh, Samuel turned around. One guy, his best friend, um, he hires a prostitute. He doesn't go through with it, but we see her standing at his door and they're discussing, you know, what they're going to do or not do. Um, there's a... The biggest thing, honestly and truly, is probably there's a suicide that is all but depicted. You see everything leading up to it, and then you see the body after. You don't see the act itself, but it's enough that there's no... They don't hold their punches there. And there's um, a little bit of language, there's too. There's a little bit of language, and it's kind of pointed in the fact that... It's pointed in two ways. One is that these are people who are like, you cannot curse in our church, but they'll misuse God's name. But then the other side of that is that um, like when when uh, Samuel's a kid, he looks at his dad and he's terrified because he thinks that the reason his mother died in childbirth was because he cursed on purpose. And his dad looks at him and his dad says a bad word to prove the point. This had nothing to do with you. Hmm. She died because of complications due to the birth. It had nothing to do with you or your sin, you know? To, okay. So like there is cursing. It's not uh, gratuitous, but it is present. Okay. Well, that leads into a question we got from a listener named Michael. And he asked this, should Christian movies include PG-13 content? And he has seen Southern Gospel and said the new movie Southern Gospel, which I liked, pushes the faith-based boundaries American Underdog did too, at least a little. Um, yeah. And so I think that we could probably talk about this for an hour. So I want sort of the <laughs> speed round version. But what do we think? I mean, what are the pros and cons and the 
the things that why a filmmaker might include this content and why they might not and how we interact with that. Paul? So I would say I'm of two minds of this. Okay. And I go back to to Emily's favorite Best Picture winner, Casablanca, right? It has no content. It has some suggested issues there. Right. You can tell a really, really great story with no content. But when you're talking about- there are lots of them from that era. Lots of them. They, they uh, so, had so to I've be so, so <laughs> content-free, right? So when I hear people say, oh, we needed to include this to make a good story, I think that is patently false. Okay. At the same time, I do think that when you're talking about the realm of Christian movies, sometimes grittier content can make it feel more real. One of the, one of the things that, that Christians are sometimes accused of is being a little Pollyannish, mm-hmm. not really understanding the real world. When there's an indication that Christians do live in the same world that everybody else does, deal with the same sort of problems, that can add a little bit more realism. Yeah. I think that... And this might be an unpopular opinion, but my personal opinion is that it really comes down to what kind of story you're trying to tell. In Casablanca, for example, not a Christian movie, but also zero content because it just wasn't needed to tell that story and tell it well. In Southern Gospel, there is content, but it's also a Christian movie. And like when I think about some of the content, like the misuses of God's name, they could have cut that out easily. That's, that felt like ignorance on the writer's part for not realizing, oh, if we're going to sit here and talk about this, people who are that involved in the no cursing thing would never misuse his name and they would have realized that. But then like with the suicide depiction, as hard as it is to watch, you cannot tell that guy's story another way. If you told it from a third person point of view, it doesn't have the same impact of you. You wouldn't see how broken he was and how just like sad it, that story really is. And so, yeah, grittier content can lend itself to telling, to showing how a character truly is. But you've got to, I do think that there are places where we could sanitize more because it just, it's unnecessary. And there's other places where it's like, we're going to be very careful with how we depict this, but we are going to depict it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of with uh, Paul on this where I've got two minds on it because I, I do wish it was as simple as a yes or no, right. you know, but the reality is, you know, if you, I mean, we've all seen the Christian movie where like the Christian guy is the only good guy in the room. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, uh, he's followed the whole law his whole life, you know, and he's kept it his whole life, you know, just as Jesus uh, is referencing, you know, talking to that guy in the Bible um, who says, oh, I've kept the law my whole life. Sometimes I feel like our Christian movies can feel like that, where these Christian people are essentially these perfect little soldiers, you know, and everyone who's not a Christian is pretty much the Antichrist. Um, (laughs) But uh, on the other end, you know, we have to remember it's like okay well we can also go the other way right too far yeah yeah and i'm i'm gonna bring it up again but redeeming love yeah uh that's an example that I'll, I'll use a lot where i thought that they went way too far um in the sense that the whole movie was you know about being redeemed by love you know right. and uh the redemption in the story was uh from particularly sexual sin and sexual abuse and feeling like you weren't enough for, uh, because of that sexual abuse um, however, it did that in a way of showing them having sex. And there's a point where you're like, well, this feels like the whole issue that you're addressing about a sexual past is being negated by the fact that you you might cause your viewers 
to stumble into that. So, well, and that's actually a good point. It's like when you depict certain things on screen, you can cause them to stumble. Southern Gospel also dealt with a little bit of sexual abuse in mm -hmm. somebody's past, but they literally only referenced it. It's like maybe two or three lines in the entire movie, but it's so impactful. And like the woman who experienced it, you see, and rather than focusing and showing us a flashback, they just mention it in those lines. And then they show how she's handling this in the present and so there are ways of like handling that stuff without going into it. Well, and I think just to finish up here, we've got two different things. It, the question of how do you tell a story effectively, right? And different mm -hmm. directors and different storytellers are going to answer that question differently. And then the question we ask at Plugged In, which is how do you receive a story? You know, what's the content there? And one of the reasons we exist at Plugged In is to help you know ahead of time um, what you can expect, right? And I think especially with these Christian movies that we're seeing a few more that are a little edgier, there may be some Christians out there who say, man, I'm glad to see a Christian movie that accurately reflects hard stuff out there. And then there are going to be some that say, you know what, there's enough stuff out there that I don't want that in my entertainment. I want something that is really that clean version. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, but I think you have to know yourself and you have to know ahead of time what you're getting into so that you can make a good decision for yourself and for your family. Indeed. Well, now it's time for a part of the show we call Pop Culture Connection, and we have our producer, Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. Who joins us, and Paul had to step out, so Ashley is stepping into right. Paul's position, in case you're wondering. He's okay. He hasn't been abducted by aliens, right. but he's no longer with us, at least well, in this podcast. we haven't seen him in the last five minutes, so maybe. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you said Paul's position. That sounds a lot like pole position. The right. The old game. Wow. Right. Your favorite video game from <laughs> yeah, the 80s. Yeah. That was so much Ashley, fun. so how's this game work? What are you going to do for us? Well, here? I'm going to ask some questions, and you guys get to give me as many answers as you can in 30 seconds or less. Well, not less. 30 seconds. It's a right. shame Paul isn't here. He can't be jaded right? about the fact that Jonathan's going to win. Know, <laughs> Jonathan's right? not here either. That's all right. It's all good. All you right. guys are some great players, so we'll have a lot Who's of fun with that. Who's your first victim? My first victim is you, Oh, I thought it Adam. might be that way. Yes. All right. Okay. My question is, they're both considered oldies, which hurts, but which do you like better, 50s music or 80s music, and why? Oh, 80s music is the best. 80s was the best decade. 80s has incredible diversity. 80s was the culmination of all the musical trends from the 50s through the 60s and 70s. You could listen... Oh, it all had amazing guitar solos, which is the reason. And, you know, the other thing you never hear anymore, saxophone solos. There's mm. saxophone solos mm -hmm. and everything. Um, Michael Bolton, John Bon Jovi. I mean, really, is there a better decade than that? I don't <laughs> think so. And then, you know, you can just go down the list, you know. You, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Michael Bolton and John Bon Jovi, that's going to be my closing all argument. All the hair bands. Right? Yeah. And just the hair. Right. So fitting for the 80s, you got eight points. Eight. Nice. I was hoping for better for my favorite decade, but well, thank you for that question. Absolutely. I am truly in your, your debt for well, asking sure. me that. Sure. Yeah. All right. Kennedy, I'll yep. have you go next. All right. All right. Would you choose Scooby-Doo or Tom and Jerry and why? I got to go with Scooby-Doo yeah. uh, only for the reason because he can talk. Uh, kind of. Right. <laughs> um, additionally, uh, I'd like to go on the mysteries with them. I'd like to. Uh, uh, there seems to be a general sense of uh, defying gravity because, you know, they run on the air for a while. And I feel like if I was with Scooby, I might be able to do that. Um, 
Uh, the theme song, What's New Scooby-Doo? That song, I know it's not the original, obviously, but it, it's so good. Um, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I got five points for you. That's the wrong answer. Rut-row. That's the uh, right answer. Come Jerry. on, no. You don't need words. It wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> you don't need right? words to... Meddling kids. To have a great movie. <laughs> All right, Emily, your question. This is epic. Who was cooler, Han Solo or Captain James T. Kirk, and why? Han Solo, because he's a smuggler. His best friend is Chewbacca. He can speak Wookiee. Uh, he did the Kepler run in less than 12 parsecs. <laughs> he's got his cool little golden dice thing on his windshield. Uh, the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> that alone. Uh, the fact that he took Rey under his wing so willingly. Uh, his loyalty to Luke and Leia. His devotion to defeating the Empire, even though he really didn't want to be there. Nice. Oh, I feel nice. like you won. She did. I got 10 points, but wow. I have to disagree because I'm a Kirk fan. So <laughs> that's all good, though. If, wow. I'm, if I'm being fair, I'm watching Star Trek Voyager right now. I haven't really watched enough of the new movies or uh, the original series to vote for Kirk that way. I understand. Wow. So. Thanks, Ashley. And thank you for spending some time with us today. Did you watch the Oscars? Did your favorite film win? Did you see most of the nominees? Did you see some of them? What did you think? We would love to hear from you and get your thoughts on this year's Oscar broadcast and the winners. And you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, or just drop us a message at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And while you're at it, we would love for you to leave a review wherever you get your podcast to let others know what The Plugged In Show is all about. Well, thanks again for spending some time with us this week. We know you have lots of ways that you could choose to spend that time, and we're honored that you chose to join us and we will look forward to joining you next week for another conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology on The Plugged In Show. God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.